Welcome back to Living Lab Radio. I'm Heather Goldstone. Thanksgiving is just days away. How do we know? Well, there's been pumpkin spice everything for at least a month. There are turkey and maize decorations in store windows. And of course, there's always the trusty calendar to consult. But go back in time a few millennia, and the appearance of the constellation Pleiades might have been a leading cue that it was time for Thanksgiving, at least in the Northern Hemisphere. Every culture has looked to the sky, seen shapes in the stars, and made up stories to go with them. They've used them to navigate the seas, predict personalities and major events, and to teach moral lessons. And while there are plenty of differences between different cultures' systems, there are also a lot of common themes. That's the message of a new book, Star Stories, Constellations, and People. It's written by Anthony Aveni, and he's the Russell Colgate Distinguished University Professor of Astronomy, Anthropology, and Native American Studies Emeritus at Colgate University. Anthony, good to talk with you. Good to talk to you too, Heather. Do we know when people made the transition from just kind of looking up and perhaps imagining pictures, shapes in the stars to actually creating stories around them, turning them into symbols of, you know, myths, legends, and and moral stories? Well, I think it was certainly before the cell phone, um, (laughs) also before the written word, and I think even before the cave painting. uh, And what few of us realize, since uh, Edison gave us electricity and lit up the Great White Way and along Broadway, uh, that the the sky was always there. Uh, The sky was the storyboard filled with uh, tales about the meaning of life and uh, social relations. Uh, And people were making patterns on this storyboard uh, long before, even before they were um, painting on the walls of caves. Certainly prehistoric people were doing it. And uh, the story depends so much on who's the teller. And the teller has to make the story have legs. It's got to be a story that means something and that you can transfer from one culture to another as time changes. You mention in the book that the oldest star map, the oldest effort to, I guess, kind of put this system on some sort of, it's not going to be paper, I'm guessing, is 3,500 years old. It's called the Nibra Sky Disk. Tell us about that. Well, that was discovered and excavated in Germany, and it's been dated. It's an image showing the crescent moon and the Pleiades, which you just mentioned, our seven sisters, and the sun. But I think that uh, we shouldn't really worry about that being the text because the message of what I have to say in Sky Stories is that it's the sky that's the text. And people were using these mnemonics, these things that they would see in the sky, uh, and uh, and make the patterns. As I try to show, uh, the stories all have meaning. You opened with the, the Thanksgiving, and I think it's probably worth at this time of the year telling one of the Thanksgiving stories that comes from the Haudenosaunee who are our local um, Iroquois, as we would call them up here in upstate New York, Uh, the story of Thanksgiving, the myth about Thanksgiving that comes through in recognizing the Pleiades, has to do with the the problem that a lot of kids realize that their parents were too busy to celebrate Thanksgiving. They weren't passing Hmm. on the legends. They weren't recognizing things in the sky. And so the kids decided to go up to heaven uh, to find out for themselves uh, what the Pleiades were. And once they left, their parents were so terribly uh, upset because they went away uh, and they looked up and uh, begged the kids to come back. And they were sorry that they mistreated them by neglecting this holiday. Uh, And then one of them, a shooting star, fell to the earth. He was the child who was sacrificed for this deed. 
uh, and the story therefore gets remembered. So uh, this is about a family quarrel. This is about uh, kids disobeying their parents, you could say, or maybe parents not recognizing their kids. Uh, And that's the meaning of the story. I mean, you have to have the text in the sky, and you have to imagine, I guess, the way we used to lie down uh, maybe on a beach and uh, look up at the cumulus clouds and make patterns. The patterns have to relate. They have to have meaning in your life. They have to have something to do with the the things that threaten you, the things you believe in, the things that turn you on or off. And that's the essence of that story. And there are many that I try to tell in, uh, in star stories. Well, Anthony Avenny, as you say, in Star Stories, Pleiades gets an entire chapter with all of the different interpretations of this single constellation, which interestingly seems to be recognized as, you know, a a single unit by many different cultures. One that I hadn't really put together is the fact that uh, Subaru is the Japanese word for Pleiades means united. Right, it does. And of course, there are six stars on the Subaru. If if you happen to own one or see one going by, there's always this debate about the seventh star, which is uh, a very faint star, but nonetheless visible. Uh, But the Pleiades, universally recognized, you might say, well, why is that? Often confused with the Big Dipper. They're prominent. They're not bright. The stars aren't bright. But I think it's a case of right place, right time. I liken the Pleiades to the diner alongside the interstate highway, right near a convenient exit. <laughs> the interstate highway is the, are the constellations of the Zodiac. And the Zodiac bears all the travel of the planets, the sun and the moon, through the R12 constellations. The Maya had 13. So it's so convenient because you can reckon the position of um, important events uh, that transpire with the sun and the moon, the dates in our calendar, by recognizing uh, uh, they passed by the Pleiades. The cover of my book, incidentally, is an illustration of Black God, who was the Navajo deity, the bearer of fire. Uh, And it's a map showing the Pleiades stamped on his forehead. They say that Black God, who was the fire bringer to the Navajo, walked into the house of creation one day and uh, his uh, fellow gods saw a, a bunch of uh, spangles on his foot and the little little crystals on his foot. He stomped his foot and the crystals went up to his knee. He stomped again. They went up to his shoulder. He stomped again. They went to his forehead. And there are the Pleiades, which appear right on schedule during the harvest season when you start to burn your fires and pray to the gods for a good harvest. So all of these myths have meaning. There is truth in myth. It's not our scientific truth. It's not the kind of truth we can say is provable empirically, but they're all true in the sense that they tell stories that relate uh, to people. And these uh, these uh, things we see in the sky, which all appear and disappear at precisely the right time, are cues that uh, cause us to think about what's important to us. You and I have been using uh, a little bit this language of of our system, which I I guess is referring primarily to the Greek-based system and a lot of the the names that we know for uh, constellations, whether it's Pleiades or or Orion, referring to things like the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper. Um, But of course, that's only one system. And you go through in the first chapter of the book looking at Orion, an incredibly well-known uh, constellation. Certainly for me, one of the easiest to pick out, the first one that my kids have learned to pick out in the sky. And you go through all of the different stories and the different ways that those stars, in, in a lot of cases, a lot of the same stars have been interpreted and used to convey stories in different cultures. Can you tell us some of the the other stories of Orion besides 
the, the Greek myth of the hunter that might be familiar to, to many people in Western societies? Sure. Well, we know, I think he, all of your listeners probably know of bright blue Rigel, which marks the uh, right heel of the uh, great hunter, and Betelgeuse, which marks uh, bright red Betelgeuse, his shoulder. The myth is, uh, and I think it's very relevant today, if you stop and think about it, it's about a guy who drinks too much, assaults a royal princess, gets punished by blindness, gets a second chance, and blows the ch- second chance by showing up in a bar uh, drinking heavily, if we want to make this a contemporary story, we could say he was doing ouzo shots, uh, and he boasts that he's going to kill every animal in the forest. Well, Gaia, the goddess of Earth, hears, overhears him, sends a scorpion to sting him on the heel. He goes up to heaven where he's a reminder during the hunting season, which is the time when he appears, that you oughtn't to have a lot of hubris. It's not good to boast about things, and those are wonderful stories uh, to tell uh, uh, kids. Now, in the uh, Caribbean culture, among the Caribs, he's a one-legged hunter called Epitembo. And it's a wonderful story of uh, a marriage uh, broken by seduction. Uh, His wife, um, uh, Wawaya, the wife of Epitembo, is uh, wooed by a lover who turns into a taper. We can call that a half-horse, half-pig. And she wants to run off with him. Uh, and she grabs hold of an axe, this is during the time when Epitembo is harvesting avocados, chops his leg off, I mean, some of these myths are pretty Hmm. gory, Uh, and uh, starts to run off with her lover. He chases her, bloody stump and all, through the forest. They ascend into the sky, and there you see them as Orion and the Pleiades. But there's a meaning to the story because you follow it through the dry season, which is when avocados become ripe, Uh, and uh, he leaves a trail of avocado seeds as he follows her so he can get his way back. And then it's during the wet season that the taper uh, is the only animal that can go through the mud, and he's the one who is her lover, transformed back into a taper, and they go off into the sky. Now, these stories are nonsensical to us, but they are used to, to tell wonderful tales of how the seasons come around and, of course, how Orion reappears. I mean, clearly you think that these star stories do have legs, that they do still have meaning for us. And the the overarching messages of how to be a good person and, and how to be in harmony with the environment, I'm sure still resonate. But in a lot of cases, these stories are based on outdated or, or certainly much older ways of life, outdated ideas about gender roles and relationships, uh, outdated societal constructs. I mean, is it time for a, a new generation of star stories, or is it precisely because these feel a little bit disconnected from reality that they are able to carry these messages effectively? Well, that's a good question, Heather. I think you're talking about uh, these tales that might not appeal so much to us, although I would imagine that the tale of Orion the Adulterer could have some appeal. <laughs> but uh, there, I did have a chapter, a whole chapter on gendering the sky, uh, is suggesting that there are stories in here that uh, do relate uh, very much to us. I mean, I think one of the really interesting examples is the uh, the Chinese story of the cowboy and the weaver girl. It sounds like something that might have come out of Texas. The cow herd and the weaver girl. Uh, the cow herd tends his, his uh, cattle. He is Altair on one side of the Milky Way. The girl, who is a weaver, is Vega. She's on the other side of the Milky Way. And uh, they have a wonderful love affair and uh, adore each other. 
Uh, but the parents uh, kind of meddle in this love affair because they don't like the way the Weaver girl is acting once she's dating uh, Altair the cowboy. Uh, she's not paying enough attention to her weaving. Uh, she's daydreaming and so on. So they meddle. They separate the two on opposite sides of the Milky Way, uh, and they put a guarded bridge across the Milky Way, uh, which they allow uh, the two to see each other, even after they're married, only one day in the year. And if that day happens to be rainy, uh, they they don't cross the bridge. So here's a case of parental meddling. Uh, the cowgirl and uh, the cowboy uh, go on, and there's a wonderful Chinese poem, I quote, about how love conquers all. It goes above this meddling with the parent, between the parents and, uh, and the couple. The myths will last forever as long as uh, they're well told. That's Anthony Aveni. He's the Russell Colgate Distinguished University Professor of Astronomy, Anthropology, and Native American Studies Emeritus at Colgate University. His new book is Star Stories, Constellations and People. Anthony, thanks so much. You're welcome. Until next week, this is Living Lab Radio. I'm Heather Goldstone. Thanks for listening. Living Lab Radio is produced by WCAI in Woods Hole and WGBH in Boston. It's produced by me, Elsa Partan, and Heather Goldstone is executive producer. Theme music by Stellwagen Symphonette.